Welcome to the Gifters Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Kai. This podcast is sponsored by the GPS Online Program, which Forrester stated helps entrepreneurs become professional speakers. Our guest today is Amy Riley. Welcome, Amy. Thank you for having me. So Amy is a cookbook author, a speaker, and an aphrodisiac food expert. So when I saw that, I'm like, ah, oh, this is going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> <laughs> because who doesn't like food and who doesn't like sex? So first of all, share with our guests how you got into this field of culinary arts and, and chose to focus on more of the aphrodisiac food aspect. So just first, you know, did you always have a love for food and cooking? I did, absolutely. Although I think you just summed it all up. My, my choice of going into this field was I thought, well, who doesn't love food and who doesn't love sex? So, <laughs> but really, no, I, I loved food. My parents were very uh, interested in food and my mother taught me how to cook. And, you know, it wasn't like one of those wonderful Italian households you always see these picturesque images of in, in movies. Were, movies were not like that, but you know, she taught me all the basics of cooking and I really took to baking and I, I just, you know, baked at home constantly. Um, but beyond that, my family traveled. My family emphasized travel in our lives. And when they traveled, they kind of picked destinations by the restaurants. And so, you know, that was, I grew up just like looking forward to the next restaurant um, as well as learning to cook at home. And so I, I always wanted food to be a part of my life. I never uh, envisioned it being my career. I certainly never had envisioned myself as a child writing a cookbook. Um, but I wrote my first cookbook while I was in college um, just for my friends. And, you know, I just... As an idea, I sort of at that point learned how easy it is to do. Not I should, for you. <laughs> I shouldn't tell people oh, it's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's a very basic thing. And um, I don't know, it just, it all just went from there. And then how did you move toward the aphrodisiac foods expert aspect of it? Well, I, so I actually started out, to be honest, in the food and wine field writing about wine. And it truly, it's still as a, as a top life, life, Amy, cooking, aphrodisiac, food, wine, traveling. Oh my gosh. Loving parents. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, wine, honestly, is still my first love. I do still write freelance on wine. Um, I jump at any chance I get to write on wine, but I um, knew that, I mean, I, as a freelance wine writer, quite frankly, there's a lot of competition and I wanted to find something that kind of satisfied me, but augmented what I was doing. And I've always been interested in the health side of food. Um, and I've also always been interested in mythology and aphrodisiacs is a, is a topic that combines those two in a really fascinating way. And I just kind of started researching it. And at the time I started writing on aphrodisiacs, there was very, very little information from a foods, from a culinary standpoint. There was, you know, anthropological information, um, a little bit of limited amounts of science. Um, it was a challenge and I like a challenge. And my interest grew and grew, and my knowledge grew and grew, and my recognition grew and grew. And so here we are. <laughs> awesome. So just so that our listeners know, so one of my skills is as a speaker, I actually talk about connection and how do you communicate with people. And it really comes down to science because when you can make someone laugh or smile, you have what they call havoc chemicals. They have dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. And it's not a coincidence that those same havoc chemicals or also what you secrete in sex. Now with food, 40%, no, I'm sorry, 90% of 
serotonin, which is the feel-good hormone, the, the, the mood-stabilizing hormone, actually comes from our gut. So for our listeners to know, like, yes, it's cool to talk about aphrodisiacs and cooking, but really from a fundamental chemical and physiological standpoint, you change a person just based solely on making them smile, laugh, have sex, or in this case, cook. And so I want to just stress that 90%, that confounded me and it just shocked me that kind of makes sense that when you eat together, you stay together. And so I want to kind of share with our listeners about that. So talk to us more about perhaps some simple recipes for like, lay people like myself where cooking is one of the most therapeutic things that anyone can do. So just basic cookbook type things that maybe you can share with our guests because most of our listeners are entrepreneurs, executives, you know, we're busy people. So what are some healthy type things you might share with us? Well, I like to recommend, especially, you know, if we're talking about couples and we're talking about food and romance, I like to recommend finding things that you can cook together. Um, you know, something that you can, something simple, but where you can kind of eggs. a nice, yeah, a nice rhythm in the kitchen and just that camaraderie. Um, one of the things I suggest is trying to make sushi at home, just very basic rolls. Um, it is not hard to do. You can find you can find great videos online even to watch how to do it. Um, it's it's the, it's one of the simplest things if you can make rice. And you can shop for good quality fish or even cut vegetables into little sticks. Um, you can make some nice rolls together, uh, which is a fun. It's a, it's a nutritious meal. It's a healthy meal. It's an energizing meal, which is also important when you're talking about aphrodisiacs. But it's one that you can easily do together and have fun doing together and have fun learning together. Yeah, that's a great first step. So... After the DJ aspect of it, I mean, is it like proven by science now or just kind of anecdotal? Because you're saying earlier that there wasn't really much, but are there actually like, like I've heard oysters, for instance, is like very right. common. But again, that's what I heard. I don't know if it's true. Right. Well, you know, so what I do is I look at foods in from sort of three different angles when I when I start to research or discuss what is an aphrodisiac. And first, I love to look at the folkloric history of it, um, because let's, you know, let's take a good look. Let's at some of these at the majority of cultures before ours, people were starving and they weren't going to waste food. And so if they found that, you know, a certain food helped with women's fertility or men's performance in the bedroom, there probably was something to it. They didn't have the science to be able to prove that, but you have to, you know, kind of suspect. And also, let's face it, the, the anecdotes are always really entertaining. So that's a great place to start. From there, I go and look um, at the nutrition. And usually that's where you find the clues. Why are oysters aphrodisiac? Well, for starters, they are... Um, you know, they're, they're high in protein and it's fairly lean protein. You need protein for energy. You need protein for that performance in the bedroom. Um, but they're also a great source of zinc. Zinc is essential for good blood flow. Also essential, an essential ingredient in the bedroom. Pretty much anything that you find is, that you're told is heart healthy is also great for your sex life. Because um, it's all about blood flow. Uh, and then I look, I'm sorry? It goes for man or woman? Absolutely. Yes. Because you need, I mean, both, both sexes need good blood flow in order to orgasm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so lastly, after I've looked at all of that, I will, I will check and see if there are any research studies. So oysters, for example, there is a study that, a very interesting study from 2005 that uh, links to oysters. It was a study done on bivalves. Uh, oysters are a bivalve. It was done specifically, uh, though, on Mediterranean mussels. And they found that a couple of amino acids in the mussels, which apparently these aminos are found in all bivalves. So even though the research was done on mussels, you have to assume that it, it would carry over to oysters. Anyway, they found that these aminos just naturally raise sexual hormone levels for whatever reason. Unfortunately, that's not what they were studying. So they, there, there was no follow-up study. It was just sort of a happy byproduct of, of this investigation. Um, but it does lead you to believe that oysters, clams, mussels, they can all help everyone in that department, which is kind of exciting. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, the last time I thought about mussels, I was in Barcelona talking to this girl trying to improve my Spanish, and I said <laughs> mussels, but like I was pointing to my arm, but she was like, mussels, like the ones you eat? <laughs> <laughs> so you, thought, you mentioned mussels, that's what I thought about. Okay. So I really appreciate you being on our show, Amy. How can our guests stay in touch with you and learn more about your food and wine services and your books? Absolutely. So I, um, if you'd like, especially if you want to learn more about aphrodisiac foods, I run a website called eatsomethingsexy.com. Um, and that is a great starting point to find out more about me. And you'll find links to my cookbooks there as well. Um, as, and a lot of great information that not only I have, have written, but other authors have written about aphrodisiacs and aphrodisiac recipes and so forth. Awesome, Amy. Thanks so much for your time. And listeners, go out and buy those oysters and mussels. <laughs> <laughs> yes.